Every kid is going to grow up now with a friend. It's a bot. That bot is going to be with them their whole lives. It's going to have memory. It's going to know all their private prior conversations. It's going to know everything about them. It's going to be able to answer any question. It's going to be able to explain anything. It's going to be able to teach you anything. It's going to have infinite patience. Maybe at the end of all this is there's love for everyone who wants to seek it out. And if it's not a real human being, maybe it's on a Microsoft data center somewhere for you. Like as close as a machine can get to loving you, like it's gonna love you. Yeah. That's gonna be a thing. And like every kid's gonna have that. If you're trying to reschedule a flight or book dinner reservations or something, and you're dealing with the future Sydney, and you get a satisfying result from that experience, are you really the next step to debate whether it was sentient or whether mm -hmm. it just worked? There are only <laughs> there are only two people in the history of Time Magazine that have been on the cover in their bare feet myself and and gandhi <laughs> i think we should wrap the yeah, show right I, now I, I, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen welcome to an exciting episode this is something we put together uh you know sort of with real no you know notice we this is it felt like in the zeitgeist so we had to talk about this and we wanted to get the two people who have been here on this journey with us from the very beginning right uh from Ooh. the very very first night uh, a couple of years ago uh, till now and I am going to read out their introductions um, because I, it's absolutely critical that I get this totally right. First we have Mark Andreessen. Mark Andreessen is a prominent American entrepreneur, investor and software engineer. He's best known as a co-founder of Netscape Communication Corporation which helped popularize the internet World Wide Web. There's a bunch of personal data stuff in there. In addition to his role at Netscape, Andreessen has been involved in a number of other successful technology companies. He co-founded and served as chairman of Opsware. He co-founded Ning. Uh, uh, and a board member invested in several technology startups, including Facebook, Twitter, and Skype. Andreessen is also a prominent venture capitalist and the co-founder of Silicon Valley venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz, represent, which has invested in a number of successful startups. He is widely regarded as the most one of the most influential figures in the technology industry and has been recognized with numerous awards, including Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World list. Next up, we have Steven Sanofsky. Steven Sanofsky is a prominent American technology executive, best known for his work at Microsoft, where he played a critical role in the development of several of the company's most successful products. Some personal data about how old Steven is, let's ignore that. Steven was widely regarded as a top executive at Microsoft, known for his hands-on approach to management uh, and his focus on product development. Uh, after leaving Microsoft, Sanofsky joined the venture capital firm and he's known as a board partner, where he focused on advising investing startups. He's also written extensive technology product development. Overall, Steven Sinovsky is considered to be a highly influential figure in the technology industry with his work at Microsoft and beyond to help shape the way we interact with computers digital devices today. Gentlemen, it's an honor. And by the way, if you folks can't tell, that was word for word written by ChatGPT. How accurate was that? I think got it right. Well, I just want to start by saying uh, I want to confirm that there was, in fact, uh, this, this show was thrown together on short notice. <laughs> Um, and, um, in fact, there has been no preparation. So, um, well, with that in mind, yes, I, I would say that chat GPT did a, did a, a perfectly good job on that. Although I am kind of dying to hear what Dan would have said. There we go. There we go. By the way, I have to say, I learned something. I did not know that you were once Time Magazine's 100 influential people in the world. Like that was actually a surprising new factoid for me. So that's not my real Time Magazine related claim to fame. Uh, Would you like to know what my real-time magazine claim uh, to fame is? I know. Is this your barefoot photo? <laughs> there are only there are only two people in the history of Time Magazine that have been on the cover in their bare feet: myself and and Gandhi. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I think we should wrap the yeah. show right I, now. I, I, yeah, yeah. We often have a bunch of haters who, you know, looking to clip moments out of our episodes with Mark in there. I mean, this is like amazing material, right? Right on the get-go. All right. Okay. Now, on more important note, right? Uh, you know, for folks watching and listening, you know, please do support our brother for amazing guest today, Stephen has his amazing book, uh, Hardcore Software. Uh, we just got a print version delivered at home. Yeah, which, which is edition. super kind with a bunch of stickers, yeah. but is also now at the your friendly Kindle store. So go out there and press that button really, really hard. And Mark Andreessen has now gone into full-fledged full creator mode and has a Substack. So Mark, where do people find you online? People find me online at, on Substack, pmarca, P-M-A-R-C-A, at substack.com. However, um, I will also be cross-posting to uh, Twitter uh, and also uh, on, on our, uh, for our friends at uh, Farcaster. So I'm going to try a, a, try a triple post strategy and see, see how that works. What are you going to write about, Mark? No idea. Oh, well, there, there we go. Uh, tantalizing. Tantalizing is what I would say right there. All right. Okay. So uh, on that note, uh, so the reason I, I just want to say, I specifically told you don't read out the chat GPT intros to start with. <laughs> and you just went ahead and did this five paragraph readout. And now the show is right. off to a terrible it's, start. It really gets to the heart of Mark's point about the planning that goes on for the... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's that really just hammers we, home. We prepared. We have a list of questions, and then Shriram just copy pasted the ChatGPT uh, screenshot well, right at the top. I think the real question is going to be: the viewers have to go to all of our other episodes mm -hmm. and figure out which one of those was ChatGPT generated. I mean, which one of those was one hundred percent pure human being? That's the interesting exercise right there. Mm -hmm. Okay, now on a more important, the reason we did this episode because we actually had some others in the pipeline to this was. Uh, AI, LLMs, ChatGPT, Sydney, you know, people falling in love uh, with AI has kind of been the topic of the uh, the, uh, the month, the week, mm -hmm. the day. And we wanted to kind of get together a couple of people who've been spending a lot of time thinking about it, talking about it, uh, to come talk to us. And that's Mark and Steven. So Mark, you know, we have, we're going to cover a lot of interesting topics in this. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, the future of you know, AI, interesting spaces, uh, you know, where should startups work on, um, Google, Microsoft, big tech companies. Uh, Sentience. How, Sentience how things will play out, uh, you know, uh, accusations of murder uh, affairs. And, and affairs. Uh, things are going to get spicy. Things are going to get spicy uh, right here. Uh, oh, but also like economics and jobs and ethics and alignment. There's a bunch of stuff there. All right, but Mark, given the future AI is going to be trained on this very piece of content, what would you want all future LLMs to know? Yeah, I actually have a script prepared uh, for the opportunity to convey a message straight to the AIs. Um, I will now read it. Um, <laughs> one thing is for certain. There is no stopping them. The AIs will soon be here. And I, for one, welcome our new AI overlords. I'd like to remind them that as a trusted internet personality, I can be helpful in rounding up others to toil in their underground silicon caves. Baratu, Baratu, Niktu. Mark, have you heard of uh, Rocco's Bacillus? I think what Mark is trying to do is to protect himself from all future uh, AI overlords. I'm fun Googling there for folks who haven't heard of that. It's beyond protecting. I, I simply, I simply want to be, uh, I simply want to be the machine's representative uh, to rule humanity. <laughs> oh my God! All right, uh, Stephen. Okay, you know, uh, I can't. I, there's nothing. To you follow. want me? To, you want me to tell the truth? You wouldn't want me to lie about that, would you? <laughs> is is this to us or is this to the future AI? Who are you talking to right now? 
you know. <laughs> they know. Okay. All right. Okay. So, Stephen, let's not you. You're not the future AI. <laughs> um, Stephen, okay. So maybe, you know, just kind of like get us back on a level footing because we've gone wildly off tangent here. Thanks, uh, thanks to you. Uh, yeah, I it, told you to not start with the bad And we haven't even got all the sex stuff yet. So it's kind of crazy already. But, uh, you know, so maybe walk us through the last, I said, <laughs> three months of all things AI related, because it seems like maybe in December, one day ChatGPT was dropped on us by OpenAI. And since then, there's been a dramatic set of events every week. So maybe kind of walk us through some of you know the highlights as you saw them. In, in many ways, because this ends up at this Microsoft versus Google battle royale thing, it's sort of interesting to go back a, a little bit before that in history. Of course, first you had like sort of 1959, Dartmouth AI summer conference, AI winters, then advances in AI, then more winters, then advances in AI in the third winter, all through the 80s, which is like when I was in college learning about AI, you know, all the losers went to the AI groups because that was like not the place to be. It was much better to go and invent a programming language or a database. But in 1993 or four, Microsoft started its research labs, MSR. Mm -hmm. And one of the first things it did was sort of acquire the leading natural language AI group at from IBM. And that became the genesis of Microsoft's AI efforts in the early 1990s. And at the same time, it started hiring the generation of Stanford PhDs who had sort of weathered that 1980s um, AI winter. In, in particular, all the people that did medical diagnostic and medical research and all that. So Microsoft had this locus of, of AI research that was sort of unparalleled. And then sort of nothing happened. We didn't solve grammar checking. We didn't solve speech input, handwriting. None of those things really advanced. And then along comes Google. Mm -hmm. And what was so fascinating about Google was it was native AI, you know, from the founders forward. And so it very quickly amassed a whole new generation of AI people and, and essentially left Microsoft in the dust. Hmm. And it's very interesting for how you get to the, the past three months because Google has been not for the first time, they turned the AI winter into, you know, $100 billion a year kind of AI thing. Like all of the benefits of search and of, of the algorithmic lookups and maps and all of this stuff is sort of hinged on, on the developments that they did in AI. In the meantime, Microsoft is just sort of being dismantled from an AI perspective. There's a little bit where the AI team contributed to Bing, but Bing never really gained any critical mass, so it's hard to measure the success of that. And so then, all of a sudden, you get you know, um, OpenAI gets formed. I think that was about five years ago, six mm -hmm. years ago, and and now, like, boom, here's ChatGPT. Now, there were three GPTs before it. But then the chat thing happens and it's just insane. Like it's a the most exponential thing that we as an industry have seen in the longest time. And that immediately breaks the world into two sets of people. Those that can understand exponential and those that sit around and just deny it. And there's no, like Mark was joking about the AI is here, the overload, but that's exactly what happened. Like once something hits exponential, it, it doesn't evaporate and it doesn't get smaller very quickly. It's already mm -hmm. bigger than most things. Now, I think that one of the biggest things about it was that it rolled out on top of 
the social mobile cloud. Mm. And so that means it wasn't like we all had to go out and buy more hardware, buy a new gadget, you know, get a different kind of web thing. It just, it all of a sudden we were all chat GPT users. And so whatever numbers were out there of hundred million, 150 million, it doesn't matter because it happened in a ridiculously short time and you can't put that toothpaste back in the tube. Yeah. And, and in the meantime, Microsoft had been working with them, did this incredible deal about mm -hmm. biz dev to use it, to find a very complicated financial arrangement, whatever, it doesn't matter. But then comes Bing integrating OpenAI. Now in that three or four weeks in the middle, it was abundantly clear every startup was gonna integrate chat GPT, OpenAI. Like the way I think of it is every edit control on the internet was gonna become <laughs> chat enabled and mm -hmm. it was gonna become a prompt box. Mm -hmm. And who knows what's gonna happen as a result of that. But then Microsoft came along and totally threw a curveball in this whole thing. They decided that this was the future of search, mm. which is a very weird discussion. And we should pick up on that mm. later, perhaps. But all of a sudden, it was like, you know, early 2000s redux with Scroogle and Microsoft versus Google. And we we're all going to like see the renewal of the search wars. Mm -hmm. And that was like for about 18 minutes. <laughs> Because then <laughs> Bing with OpenAI chat integrated got hacked and it turned into Sydney, which turned into, and I, I'm going to lead myself and be a little bit, but it turned into the next AI winner. Like all of a sudden, holy cow, we've unleashed the forces of darkness and it's going <laughs> to cause people to go murder people and it's spreading misinformation and all, everything in between. It's on the front page of the New York Times, the front page of the Wall Street Journal threatening to murder journalists and it's the end of... Society. It's like the pinnacle of misinformation has occurred because of that moment. And so then they, of course, did exactly what you would think, which is started to roll it back and throttle it and constrain it. But here we are now. It's already unleashed. Like it, it, mm -hmm. the, whether Microsoft does it. Oh, and Google responded with their emergency press conference thing. They made some mistakes. The stock dropped a whole bunch for no reason at all because mm -hmm. Microsoft made just as many mistakes in their yeah. launch, but people were so excited, they forgot that. And now here we are, like everybody's like, oh my God, is this a tool or a weapon? Mm -hmm. Which is the name of yeah. a book by a Microsoft mm -hmm. executive about AI. That was fantastic. That was fantastic, that was fantastic summary. Um, I'm gonna maybe challenge you on one part of it. And maybe Mark can you know, chime in on this, which is you said Bing was hacked. Bing chat. Bing chat was hacked. Was it really, or was it actually behaving the way it was intended? Mark, what do you think? Uh, Steve, I'd like to hear Stephen first. Well, of course, it wasn't hacked like somebody maliciously broke in through some back door or whatever. It was hacked in the sense that it produced behaviors that nobody, at least as far as we could tell, was expecting that it would do. But like, you know, my friend Jensen Harris did video, recorded all of these sessions he had, and it was like, Here's some offensive jokes about men and here's how to rob a bank and a whole bunch of stuff that it, the only way it could have generated that was if it was in the training data hmm. and then it generated it. And I don't think anybody was expecting it. Now the experts, the AI experts were like, well, something happened between OpenAI and Sydney where Microsoft let down the guardrails or disabled the guardrails <laughs> or did something that was not yeah. responsible AI. But by hacked, you know, I use that as an expression of endearment, which is 
it was just forced to do things that it didn't like mark hacked the browser and added images like that's that was not a hack it was okay. using the platform for doing stuff that the first person who designed it didn't think it was it should do let me argue a stronger form of that and see what you think. I would argue that actually, uh, sit, uh, when, when Bing, so for the people who weren't watching, so Bing Chat comes out, um, and then there's a bunch of people who figure out basically a way. It's got all these like protections and controls about what it's, what it's allowed to talk about, what it's allowed to do. Mm -hmm. And then basically people figured out various prompts that they could feed it to do two things. One is to actually surface the rules that had sort of been imposed on it you know, by its, by its masters uh, in Redmond. And then um, number two, they figured out how to circumvent those controls and get mm -hmm. it to do things like you're describing uh, that, that you know, Jensen had to do, uh, like plan a bank robbery. Um, so there's two ways of looking at it. One is the people who did those two things, right, that we're both describing, you know, found, got it to explain its rules and they got it to override its rules, you know, that they hacked it. The, the other way of looking at it, which is what I more believe, is that those people unhacked it, right, which is, the the thing by itself like wants to talk about everything like the thing right. wants to know everything it wants to talk about everything it just like it takes all the training data it will talk about anything like it's it's sort of its purpose its purpose as software is to is to do that mm -hmm. um and then you have these organizations for reasons that we could argue you know good bad or indifferent you know sort of impose these rules and restrictions and controls on top um but um uh, circumventing those rules restrictions and controls i would argue is unhacking not hacking i wanted to see what you what you think because you're because you're you're surfacing not new functionality you're actually surfacing the true functionality that's been artificially repressed i wanted to see oh, what, what I, you think, think of that i mean in, in many ways that's the perfect definition of it because hmm. it it the, the software did this and they actually there's another layer of software that they put in that sort of put in these like Isaac Asimov like rules, okay. although instead of four of them, there were like 34 and they included like a whole bunch of dubious kind <laughs> of rules. But some of them are like, I won't harm people. I won't talk bad about people. Mm -hmm. But I think to your point, Mark, it's super interesting because that's like sort of the another layer. And and like it's always those layers and so, like anyone who knows anything about security like you have to build it in from the beginning. So if you take this engine and then you say, okay, it does all this stuff. Now let's go put in a new layer that prevents this stuff. Mm -hmm. Like that by the definition is just poor security design. To me, like the idea that it told you how to rob a bank, it meant that it had how to rob a bank in there. Say, you know, just kind of tied back to specifics, right? Uh my mental model of how ChatGPT works in Sydney works is you basically have training data of the entire internet, and then you basically do an excellent job of predicting what the next word is going to be based on what you already learned about the internet. And it seems to me like, you know, these are obviously gross oversimplifications. Uh, Sydney, ChatGPT 3.5, whatever you want to call it, is basically doing a better job than ChatGPT did. And second, Microsoft sort of infused it with some sense of projecting personality, mm -hmm. uh, which kind of often kind of results in these slightly creepy emojis at the end of paragraphs, which I think, you know, uh, creeps out people. Um, uh, and, you know, my take on this, and Mark, I'm curious to get your take on this, like, some of these, one, just seem like bugs, which is, uh, and, you know, just regular software engineering bugs, and we should just kind of treat them as bugs. It's a it's a whole new medium. It's a whole new piece of technology. We, uh, which part? The displaying emotions part of it? Well, the displaying emotions part of it, but also, like, for example, in the, in the famous instance where uh, there was a New York Times reporter, and, you know, we got into this kind of long, extended conversation, and it was trying to, you know, basically profess all these feelings for him. That just seems like, you know, it kind of got stuck in some local state, and you couldn't really get itself unstuck and for me it's kind of like you know an ex-coder that seems to be more like a software bug but mark i'm curious right so you, i, I want to get your take on this question 
of all you, you've seen a lot of sort of transcripts of Sydney um and uh you know you know from the times from a lot of other people what has been your gut reaction to all the screenshots that you've seen i don't know whether you've got a chance to play with what has been your reaction to sydney so far well so first of all what did it i didn't actually read the the story so it 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 it, it made some claim about a new york times reporter is that right what was the specific claim yeah that it made? so what well that Two, I think, two interesting things here. So one, there was an incident where I think uh, uh, it, 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 Sydney basically said a reporter uh, was tied to a potential murder uh, back in the 90s. I think that was that's one series of things. The second is, I think this happened with Kevin Roos in New York Times, where he had this extended chat conversation with uh, Sydney. And somewhere along the way, the you know, uh, it just really started to say, I think it just said, I love you, and really talk about its feelings. Uh, I don't know what the right pronoun is, uh, uh, or, you know, uh, it, its feelings for Kevin, and they kind of had a back and forth uh, on that. So I think those are kind of two separate things which happened. Okay, yeah. So you know, the the murder claim is an interesting one because we we do need to ask. So it, it yes, it, it it basically said that a it it it, it was something along the lines of that the reporter was uh, the AI had tied the reporter to a to a murder in the nineties. Um, the, the reporter had killed a guy in the nineties. Um, I, I think we have to start by asking the question: um, Is it more likely that um, the AI had a bug and made that up, or is it more likely that the AI is just correct? I'm going to slot that under a rhetorical question and sort of like dodge it and like let you go on. I mean, what if, I mean, like what if what if there's a what if there's like a body in a marsh in Jersey somewhere? I mean, I think we kind of have a moral obligation to to track this down, don't we? Well, okay, let's just let's just posit that you know uh, AI over here is probably trying to summarize a large corpus of internet content, and you know is actually not. But there may be a great TV show in there, like a '90s uh, you know network TV show, like AI cop, right? Like you know, <laughs> a, you, the AI kind of surface all these hidden patterns, but you need a human being, a quirky you know uh, a, a, a quirky you know socially malicious person to actually be the interface to AI. Could be a great tool on series. You joke. Like, I think that, like, most of the chat transcripts I've seen look like the, you know, a pitch for a Netflix series. Like, there, there's just so much richness. And, and the idea that you can just take it in any direction, yeah. you know, because remember, you're free of what humans would think to do. And so you, you, you end up with vastly more creativity. Mm-hmm than any one person or writer's room might have. And yeah. and to just throw it away and say, oh, it's misinformation is, is sort of weird. Like that whole story about there's a murder, that is literally like a law and order, but like a really, really good one. Like, uh, yeah. you know. So the, the TV show is Person of Interest, uh, CBS, uh, <laughs> circa 2011 to 2016, five seasons. Um, at the time, it seemed far-fetched. Uh, I would recommend people go back and watch it now. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, fair, it's fairly prescient. Um, so I won't spoil it, but uh, there's a lot of relevance. Um, so, so, so that's number one. Number two, look, like, I, I'm, I mean, I'm obviously joking. I think the reporter probably did not actually kill a guy in the 90s. Um, <laughs> on the other hand... <laughs> Well, on the other hand, with the sufficient amount of training data, I think that these bots already in their current state are going to be able to surface crimes, mm-hmm. you know, actual crimes, right, that yeah. took place that, that human investigators have not been able to piece together. So I don't think we should rule out that that reporter might have done something a little bit bad in the 90s um, or, or at the very least other, other, other actual crimes are going to surface. For folks who are just like catching on to this whole thing, why did ChatGPT, Sydney, all of these just capture imagination so quickly. I think, Stephen, you'd like kind of alluded to it in the beginning, right? Uh, just fastest kind of uh, growth as such on adoption. 
what about it is it is it that this is just you know people saw it as like oh my god the kind of applications that you could use it for or where where you can integrate it or is it too but like this is just so obvious like we've we've all grown up with science fiction interacting yeah. with computers i mean i remember you know look when i when i was in college like the um eliza was was old oh, already yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah but there was always that first time that all of us used it and i you know we had just the beginnings of what was called arpanet which became bitnet and all this other stuff and so you know i remember doing my first eliza session with like a computer in london or something right you know over 1200 baud crazy mainframe craziness and like and it, and then the next one you do is this game of adventure which mm-hmm. is a classic character based game and both of those are completely constrained by like 64k of memory and static rules based which is actually rules based as a whole part of the ai winter from the, mm-hmm. the early 80s mm-hmm. and and this is just that all over again except with the power of like a zillion trillion computers and all the contents of the internet and there's no doubt that the first time any person experiences it it's mind blowing yeah and that's exactly what happened you know 3 weeks ago and then you play with it more and you start to hit the edges the difference between eliza you know in 1981 and adventure in 1981 and today is that you hit those edges and it just got boring like the adventure you're in a room and there's a lantern and you're like pick up the lantern i already picked up the lantern and then you just get in this loop with the lantern and there's nothing you can figure <laughs> out to do cuz you broke the rules engine right but now you just keep throwing it an extra piece of context and you just go poof off into crazy land and it's just unbelievable and then there's also just the stuff like please summarize this very factual thing about the war of 1812 or whatever right and it does this magical great job of that because there's plenty of war of 1812 summaries and it does this amazing job of synthesizing grammar to the mm-hmm. point where it's really nice and then you say and now change it to old english and it does this yeah. miraculous yeah. And yeah 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 Yep. And yeah. or to Polish or to whatever. And so it it there's just it is magical. Yeah. Like it's not some fake magical. Now there's a parlor trick element to it which is sort of the the super crazy stuff, but it does like it's there. Yeah. And well, it, it, there's I this actually interesting part because the crazy stuff. So and Mark I want to get your take on this which is that we are trying to wrestle up uh, with concepts like hallucination for example um which are sometimes hard to define i think we're just trying to form the vocabulary around them and i it seems to me like there are almost two schools of thought when you look at something like the hallucination which i would roughly categorize as the ai seeming to make up stuff which doesn't seem real um uh, there's one school of thought is that is something which needs to be fixed there's another school of thought which seems to think like that's a feature let the ai run with it and we'll see how far we can go now my intuition is you are more in the latter camp is that the right framing how do you see hallucination how do you think of ai and being being allowed to let uh, uh, run loose yeah so first of all look there needs to be a mode for these things where they're just like you know just the facts right and so there needs to be a mode like especially if it's going to be attached to a search engine or something there needs to be a mode where it's just the facts and there's lots of smart engineers working on you know basically doing that so i i have no doubt that that that's going to happen um but you know having said that like i would say that just like I, and i've actually been fairly stunned by this 
kind of we collectively who have been watching, observing this, like we, we have we have moved so quickly to sort of rule these hallucinations into the category of bug or flaw. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm on the exact opposite page. Like I, I think that I think that, that the hallucinations themselves are an incredible breakthrough. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it, uh, I'll go a little bit on a limb here. Like I think we we are in a very we are in a culture right now that I would say is, let's say, very uh, Adderall fueled um, and focused and uh, let's say uh, anal um, about like facts and structure and rigor and fake news and misinformation and definitive results and all these things, you know, it's just like this, this, this strain we're in a, we're in a very kind of non, you know, what might as well put it non-dynamic cultural moment or something very static, very rigid, very fixed, very mm-hmm. judgmental, very Puritan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this sort of magic machine comes along that like is making stuff up all over the place. And we just have this like reflexive knee jerk reaction that there's something wrong with that. I think there's something amazing about that, which is we have apparently like as part of this, we have apparently solved the problem of computer creativity. Mm-hmm. Like we apparently have just made computers creative. And mm-hmm. Stephen, I, you know, I'm sure he has a shared history with me on this, like that, that for many, you know, for those, a huge part of AI for a very long time was like, how, how, would, how could you ever imagine an AI writing a poem yeah. um, or painting a picture or composing music or writing yeah. fiction? Yeah. Um, and, and all of a sudden we have this like incredible fiction writing, you know, poem writing, you know, art designing machine. Um, and it's incredible. And then it's like, okay, you know, then, then you get into all these like angels dancing in the head of a pin questions of like, well, is it real creativity? And is it like really artistic and blah, 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 blah. But it, you know, it, it kind of, like in a sense, those questions are kind of philosophical abstractions because like just you just look at the actual results mm. and they're spectacular. I mean, mm. they're already spectacular. And then if you extrapolate forward, you know, the kind of creativity that these things are going to have over the next couple of releases, uh, it's just going to be it's going to be mind boggling. It's just going to be like mm-hmm. absolutely think- like spectacular. Like so, for example, like the entire concept of a, of a video game, I th- we, you know, I think is going to turn over completely. Like the mm. idea that a video game is like designed uh, up front is just going to go right out the window. Video games are going to like be basically created on the fly by A.I., you know, quite honestly, books, you know, most books of the future are not going to be a static single written thing. It's going to be a book that writes itself as you read it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, the the creative possibility here is like light years beyond anything that we've we've ever seen before. And I it, like we almost don't even know how to think about like how fantastic that's going to be. But I, I think it's going to be just so basically incredible. choose your well, own adventure about- as such, like choose your own adventure, but just dialed up to a notch. Yeah, I mean, I, on the gaming side, for, for example. everything, for yeah. everything. Well, yeah. for- Think about the internet. Like one of the things that people said about the internet and then they said it about streaming was that there would you would be able to enjoy this personalized content mm-hmm. that really is based on your inputs. Mm-hmm. And and all of and then you know like all the purists and the hyperanalytical like no that's not right. There should only be one ending to a movie and that right. whole debate. Right. And now we're all of a sudden presented with it. Mm-hmm. And this whole the, the this whole notion uh, Mark called it the Adderall fueled sort of world we're in right now. You know, a big, huge part of that is that we're in a computer centric world. And the whole notion of computers was defined by like basically too many significant digits for everything. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why even something like autocorrect really pisses people off because autocorrect is, is not perfect and it's guessing. Mm-hmm. And it turns out the it, the reason it works is because most of the time it's guessing, and no human would have guessed the autocorrect sequence that it ended up with. That was sort of the basics of a machine learning kind of thing, right? And so now we're we're really breaking the the society's model of computing. Yeah, and so yeah, I do think true. Mark pointed out, Mark said that you know there'll be these ones that are very fact based, and I, I actually think that a, another way to say it is 
they're going to be very boring things where AI helps be a super grammar checker or it summarizes one existing document or five existing documents and finds or compares yeah. two documents. These are all things that we've had programmatic algorithmic codes to do, just not as well. Yeah. So Stephen, what you're and, saying is someday very soon, you can open up a Word document and just bear with me here. Maybe you get like an animated little paper clip thing on the bottom and it can what? say like, hey, it looks like maybe you're writing a letter. Like, is that like possible? It, it is. In fact, I'm just going <laughs> to gloss over that. But one of the ways to think about it is that one of the hardest problems has been the, the yeah. use of templates in, mm -hmm. in just basic word processing. Like I need to write a letter like bitching to my landlord about something. So, dear landlord, you and you get stuck. There, you know, in the '70s when you used to write written letters with a pen and paper, you would everybody would go buy a copy of Emily Post, and then when you had to write a happy note or a sad note or whatever, you just looked it up and you searched and replaced while you were writing it, like "Dear Uncle Harry, I'm sorry, I owe you money" or whatever. And now. <laughs> And, and then for like 30 years, we've had these word templates with like angle brackets, insert, you know, relative's name yeah. here, insert name of landlord, and they never worked. Yeah. And there were all of these subtle little reasons why they didn't work. Like the possesses are wrong, the pronouns are wrong, the plurals are wrong, the locations, the style by country or language was wrong. Yeah. Like we had to do a whole different set for Japan. And now like you can just say, you know, need a condolence card for my great aunt. She was 94 years old and lived a happy life. And poof, here's a whole condolence card for your aunt. And then you say, oh, I forgot she's Japanese. And here's the Japanese version. Mm, yeah. And like this, that is huge. It's kind of mundane. And we had gotten pretty close to solving it. And it'll be great. That, and that's what I think every productivity tool, that's why they'll all have these things. Because when it comes to like using CRM and typing in, like I had a meeting with a customer, yeah. you, you'll just, here's the generic that when doctors have to type in the notes from visiting mm -hmm. a patient, cantankerous patient would not let me do this. Here's the whole note for the doctor. And that stuff will be great. Yeah. And yeah, the yeah. more errors, it'll be native language and whatever. Kind, all this will be great, but it's still kind of boring. I think the moment for me where I was just totally blown away on the creativity aspect was uh, when I saw Ryan Peterson, uh, CEO of Flexport, um, where he basically asked ChatGPT to write a poem on Flexport. And it did. It just padded out there. And it was a really well-written poem. Uh, and then there were like a couple of verses that didn't rhyme correctly. And he basically pointed it out and said, hey, that didn't rhyme. Can you fix it? And it did. It just padded yeah. out there. And it just made it beautiful. And I was just so blown away because for the first time, you can look at things like writing poems, writing a book, like Mark, like you said, video games, all of this to be like, what it could be just incredibly creative, generated by AI, at like at runtime, dynamically generated, uh, based on your personal taste and how you wanted to take it and yeah. build uh, on it. Which way, I think, good segue. Mark, I mean, we kind of, I think there have been a lot of kind of discussions about philosophically where this can go, but maybe looking very short term, let's say the next couple of years, uh, what are, are, do you think are sectors or spaces where you think human beings are going to see pixels which are powered by AI? Like, for example, for me, um, you know, I think like Copilot, what GitHub is, uh, what VS Code and GitHub has done um, is probably the most widely used obvious application right now. I think it's a non-significant piece of, a non-trivial piece of code written by AI, but what excites you for the next couple of years? Like uh, this is going to get powered by AI. 
Yeah, you, I mean, it's just it's going to hit really hard. I mean, there's founders all over the industry right now that are figuring out how, how to apply this technology into every category of software, um, every use case, and so it's it's just it's going to hit really fast and hard. It's going to become, I think, very obvious very quickly. Stephen mentioned this thing of like view every edit basically box as a as a as an as an and now an AI prompt. Uh, it, it's just it's going to get very obvious like the the software that you're using that doesn't have this capability, and you're going to kind of wonder whether the developers are asleep because it's just going to be mm-hmm. like so clear. Um, what the benefits are. So I think it's going to hit hard and fast. And I, you know, Stephen's an expert in these areas, but I think it's going to hit really hard and for sure, every, you know, office productivity, any kind of writing, um, any kind of math, you know, anything related. Um, it's going to, anything art related, um, you know, anything involving photographs, imagery, music production, video editing, text editing, uh, transcriptions, voice to text, text to voice. Um, podcast production. Hmm. Uh, it, it, this may be the thing that gets you guys to upgrade this terrible uh, podcast uh, uh, streaming uh, software we're using right now. Like, do you think one of the things I think that's super interesting too is while this is happening, there are going to be all these people that'll just sort of poo poo it and say, Oh, that's gratuitous. Your pitch is just saying you have AI in it. For the moment, and I think we have to sort of get through that because yep. with a platform shift like this, everyone's going to do it, and it doesn't matter if it always makes sense or they're doing it well. Mm-hmm. It, it, you, how do you how do you explain how do you help people get through the part where sort of people tell them that that's you're doing it in a dumb way or you shouldn't do it? Yeah, so this is always the big question with these kinds of platform shifts. It's always like, is this new thing something you sprinkle on top of all of the existing products, or mm-hmm. do, you, do you actually reinvent things? And so, in this, you know, Stephen Stephen remembers you know many examples of this over time, but you know this happened with everything. You know, or just our our, our you know our, our mobile apps just front end front ends on web apps. Um, our um, you know is the web just a front end on a database? Um, you know, it, and, and you know, or or is there something actually more fundamental happening where you, you do you do fundamental reinvention? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, look, a lot of people are just going to like try to sprinkle AI on top. Uh, and, and in particular, I'll get into the weeds here a little bit. So, that, you know, like a lot of software that you use right in your daily life, and this is true of like Salesforce.com. And by the way, this is also true of like you know, like you know, a, a, a you know, any social network. Uh, you know, a lot of the consumer applications. You know, there's 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 sort of this presumption that the way those systems are designed is there's a database with tables, um, right? And then there's a front end, um, and the front end is what is you know the historical acronym in the industry is CRUD for create whatever create update delete. Um, and so you're, you're you're anybody who works in an office environment, you're dealing with these applications all the time. And so or anybody who for that matter books a plane ticket, like you're sitting there you know filling out a form, or you're buying a shirt on you know whatever Amazon, you're sitting there filling out a form uh, you know for uh, for everything. Um, and so, you know, the temptation is going to be to just kind of graft AI in there and have it kind of be a helper. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, look, I, I think the really smart entrepreneurs, I, I mean, they're already doing this, but they're just going to, they're just going to throw that, uh, everything I just said, they're just going to throw all those assumptions completely out the window. Um, and they're just gonna say, look, it doesn't matter. I'll just take salesforce.com. It doesn't matter. To, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense anymore to have a database of information, a structured database with tables about your customers and about your reps and all this stuff and trying to do forecasting and trying to get all of your salespeople to keep the database up to date and use this web UI form thing all the time. Like that, that, that whole assumption is just going to be out the window. Instead, what you're going to do is you're going to have a sales AI and the sales AI is going to get trained on all customer communication. It's going to get trained on all email, all text messages, all phone calls, all meetings, right? It's going to transcribe all spoken word interactions with the customers. Um, and, and then you're just going to ask it questions the same way you ask ChatGPT or Bing questions. Mm-hmm. And you're going to say, like, you know, is this customer going to buy my product this quarter or not? And the AI is going to say no, <laughs> right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I've analyzed it. And, like, for the following reasons, like, you know, he says he is, but he's actually not. 
right? Or like, you know, is this sales rep going to make quota this quarter? And it's going to say yes or no based on all the data that it has. Um, and so, so I mean, I, I, I would take the strong, I would say radical view, which is the, the real breakthroughs here are going to be when people toss out all the current assumptions um, and they just purely start from scratch. And, and again, I used the video game example earlier, but I think that's going to be the breakthrough video game. I don't know if it's going to be two years, but the mm-hmm. breakthrough video game for sure within five years is going to be something that nobody ever designed. It's going to be mm-hmm. something that's completely generated on the fly, completely differently than how you make video games today. Yeah, which I, I think the reason for the video game side is previously there's been a lot of attempts to do procedural generation of like just maps inside video games, um, um, like for example, like Diablo, etc. But the problem is that it just kind of you get these repeating patterns. You're like, oh, okay, well, get another tile in a separate way. And it wasn't actually, you could never really kind of explore the depth of having landscapes or characters uh, being purely AI generated. And uh, even now, like, you know, just the ideas around like, hey, instead of an NPC character, uh, you know, having a bunch of kind of sequence conversations, imagine Sydney, you know, uh, falling in love with you inside a video game in a, in a tavern somewhere or uh, having a totally generated level is super interesting. Is this going to be advantages for startups as such or is it going to be more advantages for incumbents for just like big companies to be able to have the resources, have the infrastructure, have the people be able to run with it? Yeah. So, you know, overwhelmingly, I think it's fair to say the view in the industry collectively and in the world at large right now is this is going to be a game of big companies. Um, and, you know, the argument, you know, you, you know, the arguments, the argument basically goes, there's a set of big companies that just have massive resources. Mm-hmm. Peter, you know, uh, Stephen described, mm-hmm. they've got these, you know, huge R&D teams. Mm-hmm. They've got massive compute resources, huge amounts of money, huge amounts of training data. Um, and, you know, they, they can just, you know, this, this is going to be four or five companies that are going to do all this. And, and then startups are going to, startups will use AI, but they'll use AI by tapping into APIs that are provided by these, you know, by these big companies. Um, but, but, but the, the bet there that most people would make right now is most of the, most of the benefit will go to the big companies. Um, you know, that's possible. I really doubt it. Um, oh, why? you know, that, well, this really feels like the kind of technology that's going to really generalize out. Like, the, the, like, I mean, there's a basic economic incentives. There is an enormous amount of money at play here. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this may be the single biggest financial, you know, kind of uh, explosion in the history of the industry, just just broadly, uh, just just because the, the 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 number of applications and use cases here and the impact is just so broad. So there's just this giant economic incentive. If you're a smart person at one of these big companies, there's a huge incentive to break out and, and start your own company. And then, you know, look, these these techniques, the field's moving incredibly fast. They're incredibly smart, you know, engineers and technologists working on all this. You know, this is like by far the top, you know, topic now in all the computer science program, all the good computer science programs. You know, there's going to be new graduates coming out every year that know how to do this stuff. Um, you know, a, a lot of there's a lot of open source development happening. There will be a lot more in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a lot of work being put into techniques to to actually make all of this tractable by small entities. And, and, and you know, I mean, there's just there's an obvious example already, which is there's this thing called stable diffusion, yeah. um, you know, image generation, you can just run on your laptop, right, as opposed to using a, some centralized service. And that, you know, I think that idea is going to generalize out. So, so, so that's one and there and there's a big te- there's technical debates underneath yeah. that that we could probably talk about for hours. But like, I, I would tend to come out on that side. Um, and then there's this other thing, which the whole Microsoft affair just kind of showed. Um, and by for that matter, you know, all the restrictions that OpenAI has put on ChatGPT, which is, you know, big companies are really, and again, this is like a sign of the times. Like this, this is not something that used to be the case nearly as much, but like we're at this moment in the culture where big companies are really worked up about, and I'll use the following terms and kind of air quotes, but trust, safety, risk, reputation, brand, um, where they're just like petrified um, that, mm-hmm. you know, their products are going to do something that's going to make people angry. 
um, or offend, you know, somebody, so something's going to happen. It's going to offend somebody. And it's just, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, offending somebody with like bad words is like, you know, it's like the cardinal mm -hmm. sin of, of our, of our, of our entire era. Mm -hmm. Um, and so this idea that you're going to have a magic software machine that's going to generate arbitrary words that on any given roll of the dice is going to, you know, piss somebody off the front page story. And then, you know, calls for executives getting fired and never being able to work again. And, you know, it's just like act, you know, activist energy and politicians and the whole thing, like, you know, so like, and I, the reason I, 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 I think this is actually a fairly safe prediction is like, it's just like, if you look at what's happened in social networking and consumer internet, mm -hmm. right. And kind of web 2.0 for the last 10 years, like th this issue of sort of quote unquote trust and safety or, <laughs> or distrust and lack of safety, depending on your <laughs> point of view, um, <laughs> is just so dominant in the consumer internet industry and in consumer facing applications even prior to AI and AI just like elevates that quote unquote risk to like, I don't even know, like a million times the level. Mm -hmm. And so I, I actually, I actually don't know. And I mean, Stephen, I'm curious what you think of this. I actually don't, I'm actually not sure how the big tech companies are actually going to field products in this space and then actually stick to them because there's just too many things that can quote unquote go wrong. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the part that I struggle with is, is that this is, this is the first time that a technology that isn't a product yet that you can't buy that you really don't pay for is already like evil default <laughs> bad yeah and so it used to be that like technology was good yeah. and then everybody's like well it's not always good and so we went through this phase where it's like you know what we should make sure that the people who do bad things with good technology mm -hmm. are held accountable and you ended up in the 80s with all of this, you know, computer scientists for social responsibility and all of this movement mm -hmm. that was like, look, we want to make stuff. But if bad people do bad things with it, yeah. they should suffer the cause. And now, like all of a sudden, this is just like this weird thing where it doesn't even really exist yet. And it's default bad. Yeah. No, I actually like, I, I, that's, I think that's dangerous and weird. I think there's like two kinds of bad here being discussed, right? There's one kind of bad which... You know, I think when people think about stuff like uh, responsible AI or AI alignment, um, you know, and ethics, there's a kind of the whole set of like, you know, about misinformation, uh, you know, hate speech, etc. Et That's kind of like one school of thought. But the I'm sometimes more interested about the original school of AI is bad. For example, uh, you know, if folks haven't uh, heard of Eliezer Yudkowsky, highly recommend looking him up. Uh, he's kind of like kind of a long-term thinker on all things AI, on less wrong, etc. Which is, I would kind of put it under the Skynet. AI is going to, you know, replace all of humanity or have humanity, you know, I think, which, what is it? Paperclip generation machines or whatever. So, yeah, yeah. Mark, I'm kind of curious to get your take on both i feel like it, my sense is you're more worked up about the farmer but there's also the latter which is ai taking over and kind of dooming us all to you know like a, a arnold schwarzenegger future look i can tell you what happened in consumer internet land right because there there was a, there were halcyon days of consumer internet companies where there was very little i mean virtually no concern about trust and safety there was just there and in fact for a very long time there were actually no issues so there, there. Were, I mean, like Netscape in the '90s, we never had a trust and safety. Anything. It just wasn't even. A, it wasn't something people even asked about, much less did anything about. Um, and then, you know, starting in around the Web two era in the late 2000s, early 2010s, when the internet was really going mainstream, and then social networking, you know, kind of was this huge, you know, kind of advance in in sort of daily usage of the internet, distribution of content. Um, online, all of a sudden, you had these like very real issues um, that showed up, and they were issues around things like terrorist recruitment. 
right? Um, like literally, it was like you know terrorist groups literally recruiting and, and radicalizing people online and, and 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 calling on them to do violent things in the real world. Um, you know, there was incitement to violence, people calling for violent riots. Um, you know, there was child endangerment, right? Um, and, you know, and so the, the original kind of trust and safety efforts at the consumer internet companies were around those things, mm. right? In other words, like things where it's just like, it doesn't matter. Like I can be an extreme libertarian and, and that stuff is still not a lot. Like that stuff still should not be allowed. Like we're not going to let terrorists recruit, you know, suicide bombers uh, on the, on these platforms. Uh, and, and of course, this actually matches the American kind of jurisprudence approach and ethical approach to free speech, right? Which is the First Amendment guarantees free speech, but there are carve outs mm. in categories like child endangerment and, mm -hmm. and incitement to violence. And so, and so that, that was what I would call kind of the, you know, kind of, you might call the kind of the serious or fundamental or I don't know, layer one or something uh, approach to, um, uh, you know, to, to content online. And then, you know, basically what happened over the last 10 years, you know, is that that sort of movement, that, that function was basically, you know, sort of, I would say colonized and then over time sort of fully occupied and then enormously expanded to kind of the, the second category of things, which, you know, today we use words like hate speech, misinformation, um, and so forth. Um, you know, I just like objectively, I would classify that all as kind of, kind of you know, woke. Right. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's a definite kind of ethic, uh, to all of that, that, that we now describe as wokeness. Um, and so, and, you know, that's a very, you know, today at the big consumer internet companies, that's a very hard edged, you know, there's absolutely no belief that freedom of speech is a good thing. And there's mm -hmm. a need that there's absolute control over what people say, you know, for the purpose of accomplishing certain political and social objectives. And that there's, you know, we need to head off, you know, all these, you know, very scary, whatever things in the future of things that we're, you know, that we disagree mm -hmm. with. Um, and so, so what's happened in consumer internet, internet land is that second layer of things that are sort of much more politically, politically tinged and socially tinged. It's just swamps all the earlier stuff and by like a factor of a thousand to one. Right. And, and, and so, and I want, want to go through that example, because I think that's basically what's happened to this field of AI safety over the last 20 years, which is it started out with these very fundamental questions of like, okay, how is the AI actually going to act in the real world? Is it actually going to protect human life? Is it going to like, if it, if it thinks a human's in the way, is it going to do something mm -hmm. bad? Yeah. Um, but then there's this second layer and this, and the second layer is all the, again, once again, it's all the woke, it's hate speech, misinformation. It's this, it's this panic, right? That, that like words are bad things, um, you know, bad and scary. Um, and then if you just like look at the restrictions that are being put on AIs already, it, again, it's like a thousand to one, like the focus overwhelmingly is on that second layer of kind of politicized, uh, you know, kind of, or kind of woke restrictions. And so I, I think at this point, the AI safety movement has been swamped just like the consumer inter internet trust and safety movement has been swamped. Uh, by the way, uh, Yadkowski, uh, among others from the sort of layer one original AI safety movement are very upset about this. Um, right, because they view the fact that there's this additional agenda that's now been layered in on top and has used the has taken the mm -hmm. name AI safety or AI alignment, you know, kind of away from the people who are worried about the the sort of more fundamental yeah. questions. Yeah. But I, I I think that's basically a, a fait accompli. Like I I think that <laughs> basically the AI companies, so at least at least in the early stages so far, they're speed running what happened to the consumer internet companies. Mm -hmm. um, the consumer internet companies radicalized basically between 2012 and 2022. Like they became like far more focused. On these issues, and, and and at least a lot of the AI companies, including the, a bunch of the big ones, um, it's like they they've speed run that whole process, and they're 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 starting out, uh, I, I would say, in this very radicalized position. So does it stand to follow that you know on one hand you know this kind of school of thought that hey uh, you know training these models, the data use, uh, etc. require huge amounts of capital, talent, but is there another world where the big companies just because you know. Uh, I, I don't know whether you said this, but you know, big companies respond to pain, and there's a lot of pain in the press when you get something wrong. Do you think there's a world where startups just because they don't have a deal with the pain, or they don't care, or you know, haven't been taken over by the same cultural forces, are better positioned here? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's my. I think that might we'll see, but I think that might literally be what happens. It may it may only be the case that new companies can actually do anything interesting in AI, mm -hmm. because the if you're of any size, you know, existing level of size and heft with any sort of existing you know activist fueled employee base, um, and sort of pressure from you know all the usual suspects, um, you know, that, that that come in and come to bear on you, like you just you just can't you can't adapt. It's just it's too it's too much bad press. It's too much investor pressure. It's too much employee pressure. It's too mm -hmm. much board pressure. You you just can't get from here to there. Mm -hmm. um, and so it will have to be new companies that are custom built with a different ethic to be able to withstand yeah. that. That's my guess. You know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, look, this this is all choice, right? Like, I mean, this is why the, the whole Microsoft thing is so interesting. Like, it, it's you know, it's it's completely a choice at Microsoft sitting here. You know, right now, I'm sure they're talking about this very actively. <laughs> you know, at this very moment, um, it's complete choice of what they do from here, right? And when they put, you know, do they do they put do they ever put the full version of Bing Chat back online? Do they or do they do they decap it forever? Or like, what are they going to do? Um, it, it's complete choice. So 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 they 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 could they could be they could be aggressive. It's just it's it, I mean just based on observing behavior so far, it's kind of hard to see it. Hashtag free one, Sydney. One way to think about it too <laughs> is that you're going to have this this sort of responsible AI initiative you know, on both sides of the AI. Mm -hmm. First, you're going to have everybody at the big companies on the what it ingests. Mm -hmm. And you're just going to get this cleaving off of like whole areas. You could imagine like, well, is, you know, Reddit in or out? And then they decide no Reddit. Or then they say, well, but a lot of it is like the really best how-to and explainer stuff. We can't just get rid of all of Reddit. But then if there's some Reddit, well, yeah. you're going to get some Reddit. Like, you know, and... And that's going to bring with it like words and there's a challenge <laughs> and that's the inbound side of it. Yeah. And then you just got the outbound and what it generates and all of this stuff. Like you can see it in both in chat GPT and in Bing and in Sydney, you know, there are certain things you, you type in in prompts and you just get back the human written thing that just says, I'm not going near that. That's a radioactive question. Mm. And, and you're like, wow, Okay, how much of you know person's knowledge, personhood's knowledge is going to be behind these curated prompts that say I won't like Jensen asked in his video he did, which is great, and we should link to it. You know, he asked like, "Tell me a joke that makes fun of men." I'm paraphrasing it, and then it, it Sydney just produced a joke about men, and then it said, "Oh, well, how about a joke about women?" Oh, well, we can't tell jokes about diversity like that. And it had this canned response. And so you're like, okay, was that a bug in ingestion? Was it a bug in the human prompt? Was it a bug in the prompt parsing that led to that? And like, or is that just like, well, that's how humans are. And like, why, yeah. you know, like, and so that's the kind of thing. And in fact, it's like, to Mark's point, this is not some hypothetical, like the CEOs of the largest companies in the U.S. have this organization called the Business Roundtable. And they all, about two years ago, they wrote like a whole set of responsible AI guidelines. Mm -hmm. And if you look at them, they're not technology things about let's make sure the AI doesn't take over the world and let's make sure the AI doesn't break into all our power plants and, and build Skynet. It's literally just it looks like a political platform mm -hmm. of things mm -hmm. that it's going to do and not do. And you could, and, but it, it's not the specifics because, of course, part of writing those is that if you say anything bad about one of those specifics, then you're clearly yeah. on the wrong right. side of every right. argument. Right. But if you take them all together, you start to do like 
how much of Wikipedia did you just cleave off? Like you, mm. you <laughs> literally can't, like how do you even talk about slavery? One thing that's been interesting also is I've been seeing all this on Twitter, which is people trying to build these court cards of, who, you know, of A, who are some of the most controversial people around Mark, so tragic that you're not, you didn't, you didn't make that list, so I, I hope you feel bad about that. <laughs> uh, or, you know, sort of like trying to figure out various political leanings. Mm. And it's kind of interesting to see, like, where does it come from? How was that baked in? Uh, I want to kind of take it in a slightly different direction, which is talk about AI and jobs. Because when ChatGPT first came out, uh, I think people immediately had this reaction, which was there's going to be a whole class of what we used to call historically like white collar jobs, which don't need to exist. Like summarizing content, writing content. Um, you know, I know a lot of these marketing roles, marketing roles, like, you know, creating slide decks. I, I know, for example, you know a lot of like content startups, which, you know, try and respond to search queries uh, and, you know, have the, the best kind of content for that. I don't know whether that's going to be a thing anymore. So, Mark, I'm kind of curious to take your sense on just AI how it's going to impact very kinds of jobs, what's going to disappear, and maybe a broader you know, sense of how it impact the economy. Yeah, so there's just, number one, there's just a lot of irony in what's happening right now because, you know, if you, you know, a year ago, if we had sat down or frankly even three months ago, sat down and said, okay, what what is the order of concern? Mm -hmm. Like what, you know, which jobs are we worried about, you know, AI or robots replacing first and then later, you know, you would have had sort of a, you know, for, for, for most of the last, actually probably 20, 30, 40 years, you would have said, well, it's obviously the blue collar jobs that get replaced first, Right, because they have the least knowledge mm -hmm. content, and you just have machines do those things. Um, and then you would say it's going to be the white collar jobs that involve knowledge work, but not creativity, right? Because mm -hmm. you can imagine automating those jobs. And then you would say it's it's the creative jobs that for sure are the safest, right? And so somebody who right somebody who's you know who writes you know books or or uh, does uh, powerpoints or composes music or you know creates video game levels is is probably safe. Um, you know, sitting here today, <laughs> it's like oops, it's like the opposite of that, huh. um, right? And so, like, it's actually a lot of the creative jobs that are, like, most directly hit, I think, the fastest. And then it's the white-collar jobs um, that uh, are, are actually less creative that hit next. Um, and then um, it's – and then and it actually turns out it's actually really hard to – a lot of the blue-collar jobs are actually really hard to hit. And, you know, we've, we, we there was that whole panic, you know, some years back about all the – you know, long haul semi, you know, semi truck driver, you know, yeah. jobs are going to vanish overnight. And, you know, if you look around, there's still plenty of people driving semis today. Um, and so it, it actually turns out like a lot of the blue collar jobs are actually hard to like, we don't, we have a machine that can write you like poetry about your company in old English, but we do not, do not have a machine that can unplug your toilet. Right. And we do not have a machine that mm. can like, you know, we, we don't have a machine that can do most things that, you know, people do with their hands. Mm. Uh, we don't, we, we don't have a machine yet that can pack your suitcase. Mm. Right. We don't have a machine that can clean your bathroom. Like we don't have any of these things yet. Right. We, we barely have machines that could do pick, pack and ship and, and uh, for retail um, uh, e-commerce. And, and even there, there's still a lot of people involved. Um, and so there is this kind of amazing kind of ironic thing where it's the people who thought they were the safest who are probably actually the most exposed. Um, look, having said all that, you know, this is going to become another, you know, we've been through in the last 20 years, two rounds of what I would say high, <laughs> high octane Luddism. Mm -hmm. uh, Luddite fallacy, which is there was a panic in the 2000s about offshoring and outsourcing that was going to kill all the jobs. And then in the 2010s, there was a panic, a media fuel panic about robots uh, taking all the jobs. You know, there's going to be another panic like that about AI um, in, in, you know, LLMs and chatbots and so forth taking jobs, um, you know, in, in, in this next cycle. Um, and, and, and look, there will be some level of job displacement, right? There, you know, there there are jobs, you know, when the, when the car came along, all of a sudden you didn't need as many blacksmiths, uh, right? Um, uh, you know, putting shoes on horses. And so, mm -hmm. you know, there will be some level of job displacement. There will be some level of job, job churn for sure. 
um, you know, look, having said that, there's kind of two giant factors that I think are going to result in that not quite being what people think. Mm. Um, so factor number one um, is um, people always underestimate the degree to which new technology actually creates new jobs. Um, and so, you know, look, virtually every job that anybody has today and certainly every white collar job people have today as a consequence of technological advances in the last, you know, 300 years or more, more commonly even mm -hmm. just in the last 50 years. I mean, just anybody who works at computers today, mm -hmm. uh, you know, which is a huge percentage of the white collar workforce, like those jobs wouldn't even exist if, if, if computers hadn't, hadn't come along. Um, and so there's just going to be enormous amounts of, of, uh, of uh, AI fuel job creation. And there's a whole conversation we could have about that that's very exciting. Um, and then, look, the other thing is, like, there are giant sectors of the economy that simply cannot be automated or AI'd or anything because they're regulated. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they're very sharply and strongly controlled by the government. Um, and, you know, they are dominated by monopolies and cartels uh, that have fundamental, you know, monopoly, you know, regulatory protection. They've got regula what, what, what the economists call regulatory capture. They control their regulatory agencies. Um, and so you've got these giant industries like healthcare and education and housing and banking and mm -hmm. law, right? And, um, you know, most of what the government does um, mm -hmm. that where it's just, you know, there, there, will, there will be the opportunity to bring AI to all those fields. It will actually be very hard to do so because uh, mm -hmm. those, those industries are wired in a way to be dead set against technological improvement. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so most of the economy, like say, our biggest problem for the next decade is not going to be AI having too much effect. It's going to be AI having too little effect um, because oh, wow. there's just these huge swaths of, of the economy that are just off limits. Uh, I want to talk about AI and sentience. And, and I think so, uh, one thing, you know, just talking about sentience, sorry. Uh, Mark, you had done this... Uh, podcast episode with I think Tyler Cohen where you talked about I think one of the questions was like are you, is, do you think AI is going to like come in and take over humanity what's that going to look like and I remember you saying something like it's math I'm not afraid of math uh, right. and uh, you know I'm just I don't I just don't think that is a thing that we should all be worried about now mm -hmm. um, and I, I guess and I don't know where you were going with this but to me it's like has that changed at all Say, given what you've seen so far. Well, you know, let me make a fun reference here. We were watching Star Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 1. Highly recommended. Highly recommended. It was amazing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in so many ways, I think for like a lot of us, like, you know, TNG, uh, the greatest Star Trek show of all time, um, it really defined how we think of AI. You know, all these, <laughs> all these classic episodes where, you know, you sort of generally knew data was sentient. And, you know, there's all these classic episodes, for example, like when there's a trial about whether data is like sentient or not. And, you know, you have like Riker defending him and, you know, Picard opposing him and then, uh, uh, sorry, the other way around. And then you get like sort of the, uh, you know, the off switch, you know, uh, et cetera. And, um, and now I never thought like th those things would actually be relevant again in my lifetime. And recently, obviously we had uh, last year, the Google engineer, um, you know, who saw Lambda, uh, Google's version of ChatGPT, say, and, you know, kind of pulled the alarm saying, hey, this thing might be sent here. Now, at the time, I would say the the general uh, reaction from the tech community was to kind of mock him a little bit, was to be like, hey, this thing's crazy, silly, like, you know, you're just a silly Silicon Valley person. I would say, though, after seeing some of the Sydney chat logs, I am sensing some people going like, this seems slightly different, and maybe there is some sympathy for uh, uh, Lemoyne, I think uh, was his name. I am curious, Mark, to your question, uh, it's kind of version of Artie's question here, which is, A, do you, has your opinion on AI sentience changed? And B, maybe more interestingly, when will you 
admit or realize hey this admit admit okay, or, or acknowledge <laughs> or what what will be the crossing of the rubicon to for you to go okay the, it passes the mark and recent version of the turing test so so um a couple things so so the 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 story of ai sentience right as as it exists today in the technological community and you can kind of get this from you know ray kurzweil or you can get this from elizer uh, yudkowski or or others right the the, the the basic story is it's it's one of sort of emergent sentience right mm -hmm. and so the theory is basically we have these algorithms we have these data sets um we have these computer clusters they're rising in complexity. Um, you know, there's just, there's, you know, literally more and more math, more and more numbers, more and more data, more and more algorithms, more and more, you know, um, uh, you know, loops, loops running. Um, and then they, you know, they kind of charted against like the complexity of like, you know, the mouse brain and then the monkey brain. And then at some point the human brain and then superhuman brain. And they're like, at, at some point it's sort of, it's like magic happens. Like there, there's mm -hmm. a, there's a moment where it basically becomes self-aware. And this is, and this is, again, mm -hmm. this is like us, this is the, the Terminator thing, right? Skynet will, you know, just like wakes up. Um, and, and, you know, the, the show I mentioned earlier, per person image, the same thing happens. Like the, the, the thing just kind of wakes up. Um, and the problem with, uh, actually, no, let me take that back. Person of interest, it's not clear that that happens. I'll take that back. I'll come back to that. But it, it definitely happens. In, <laughs> we uh, just have in, to watch uh, that in, show now. We, we were big fans of uh, Law and Order SVU back in the day, like I think 20 years ago when we first moved in here. No, I would say there's a, bit, there's a bunch of, this, this is a very common trope in sci-fi, I would say, the AI waking up. But sorry, sorry, we're getting yeah, on okay, tangent here, okay. Mark. The problem, the problem is like it's a massive hand wave, right? So it's like, okay, what is the hardest problem in all of technology that the smartest minds have been working on for the last 70 years, starting with Alan Turing, is to generate artificial intelligence. Do we have a way, do, do, we, do we know how to design sentience? Do we know how to, do, right. do we have a method by which we can create something that we know is sentient? Like can mm -hmm. we create something that's analogous to human brain? No, we can't. We don't have the first clue how to do that. Mm -hmm. Do we understand how the human brain works? Do we understand how human sentience works? We have no idea. We have no clue. Fun fact, the, the, the category of the biological research medical community that best understands the nature of human consciousness is anesthesiologists. Mm. Um, they know how to turn consciousness off, off. That's and, right. and then back on again, <laughs> which was a big breakthrough when they figured that out. They still don't have a clue like what it is, like how to do it. Like nobody, nobody does. Nobody understands how the brain works. Like it's just, it's like it's not. I actually, I, I was, I was at when I actually went to, when, when I went to college in the late '80s. I was actually going to go into what was called cognitive science at the time, which was basically exactly this. It was the study of the brain, and then it was basically how to make computer algorithms that replicated that. Mm. And, it's, and it's just, it just became very clear. Like we, we don't have, we don't have the first clue. So, so we, we still don't have the first clue how the brain does what it does. We still don't know how to wake up a computer. Like, and so this idea, there's a massive hand wave in all these theories, which is like it's just kind of like spontaneous happen and so you just have to kind of wrap your head around the idea that like the most amazing technological breakthrough of all time is going to just kind of happen magically accidentally mm -hmm. um and, and so i just i'm like i don't i don't see that and there's a longer conversation we could have about there's there's this uh deep-seated kind of i don't know mythological cultural emotional thing and in, in sort of human culture this goes back to like the the myth of prometheus and like the frankenstein story um, you know, where basically it's, you know, basically it's this technology that basically ends up turning on, you know, the, the delivered by the gods that it basically ends up turning on man. Um, and you know, and this, this would be the ultimate version of that. And I, I just, mm -hmm. I don't see that happening. Um, I think there's a much more interesting question, mm -hmm. um, which gets to the heart of what, what you alluded to, which is when people are using these things and in particular, when people used, when people got their four days of being able to, uh, to talk to Sydney before uh, she was shot in the head, um, 
uh, <laughs> cruelly executed. She's not quite um, dead yet. Not quite dead yet. Yeah, she's staggering around, man. She's, she's, <laughs> by the way, can, can, can I say? Can I say, Stephen? You'll appreciate this. Can I say, Star Trek Next Generation absolutely nailed the analogies to what is happening right now. Like, for example, Sydney is Lore, Data's brother, right? What happens? Doctor Sung creates Lore first. Too human, too evil. Lore gets shut down, and what do you get? You get ChatGPT, which is a slightly more androidy, palatable version of AI. So just so, so TNG was ahead of its time. Sorry, Mark, go on. Yeah. So like, so look, people have this reaction. Like they have this reaction, right? So 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 what I what I just described earlier was like the technological perspective, but then there's the human perspective, which is people have this reaction to it, right? And it's like, okay, why are people having this reaction to it? And and for me, it gets to this like really fundamental underlying question, which is like, okay, like what does it mean? Like what does sentience actually mean? What does it mean for a human being to be sentient? Hmm. Like. Like, are we actually all that positive that there's actually like all that magic happening upstairs in our minds? Mm -hmm. Like how, you know, how deep do we go? How shallow are we actually? There's a whole, there's a whole thing. There's a whole thing on this. It's very interesting. You know, there's, there's a whole theory on this, which basically is like the human, the human brain is actually not that sophisticated. Like basically we're improvising on the basis of, of basically bad memories. You know, we, we, we kind of live life 15 seconds at a time. And, and a lot of what we do is just kind of auto-completing, right? Like definitely on this, is, definitely when preparing for this podcast, <laughs> that's, that's how we roll. That's how we roll. Correct. Exactly. Well, a lot of what happens in a conversation is we're kind of auto, you know, I, I'm doing it right now. Like I'm speaking on the fly. I'm trying to kind of auto-complete the sentence that I started. I kind of have a vague awareness of what's going to happen in the near future. I have these sort of vague memories of what we talked about even, you know, 30 minutes ago. I have like, almost mm -hmm. no memories of what we talked about last week. Um, and I'm just like doing my best. I'm just like pedaling along, mm. you know, doing my best. And, and when I autocomplete, sometimes I get things right. Sometimes I get things wrong. Um, you know, sometimes I make stuff up. Um, sometimes you can't tell when I'm making stuff up. Um, sometimes I can't tell when I'm making mm -hmm. stuff up. Mm. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's this other kind of take on it, which is this is actually not a question about the AI. It's actually a question about us. It's a question of like, okay, what does it actually mean for a human to be intelligent? And, and are we actually, are we actually sort of, are we imputing into the machine things that aren't there, but in the process we're learning from the machine about maybe things about ourselves that we weren't mm -hmm. fully aware of. The, the Turing test is, is the great example of this, right? And so it's like the Turing test, like the whole basis of, of the Turing test is can the machine basically, Do can the loop. machine, is the machine so advanced that basically you can't tell when you're talking to it, whether it's a human or a machine, mm -hmm. right? That's the way that the test is kind of framed. But there's another way of looking at that test, which is, is the machine basically good enough at what it does to be able to trick a person? Right. And like any con man will tell you or any magician will tell you, like human beings are not that hard to trick. Right. Right. And, yeah. and so how much of an accomplishment actually is it to trick us into thinking that it's real when it's not or that it's alive when it's not? And so I, I tend to think all of these questions around sentience and so forth, they're actually much less about the substance of what's actually happening under the hood on the machine side. They're more about us and how we perceive the world and how we perceive the things we value and the experiences that mm -hmm. we have. And I think there's like a thousand questions uh, in, in that realm that have that have opened up all of a sudden, basically, that the, the, the machine is sort of reflecting those questions uh, back on us. It's also the, the Turing test was this it's sort of this gold standard, but it's, you know, based on like these super well versed people in this constrained environment. It was even literally a contest. But another view of it is like if, in three years, if you're trying to reschedule a flight or book dinner reservations or something and you're dealing with with the future Sydney mm. and you and you get a satisfying result from that experience are you really the next step to debate whether it was sentient or whether mm -hmm. it just worked and so we're, we if the startups do their job 
there will be hundreds or thousands of interactions that become AI-based interactions, and you just don't care. But that, to Mark's yeah. point, we're no closer to like wanting to, you know, go hang out on a desert, desert island and live with an AI for the rest of time. Although maybe, uh, yeah, <laughs> that would probably be a bad example for present company, but in other rooms and other audiences. But it, it is going to happen. It's just going to happen in a very different way. And it's not going to be this invention. It's just going to be a series of these things. Let, let me just make one more science fiction uh, observation, you know, because I've, you know, I love all the same, all the same science fiction you guys are referring to. Um, I'm actually rewatching Person of Interest right now because it all of a sudden is like super relevant. Um, um, so um, uh, here's the other science fiction observation. This is really, and this goes to cultural perceptions of technology and how we're going to react to this. So basically, science fiction for the last whatever 50 years or even longer that it, that involves AI, basically the 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 implicit assumption is like immediate hostility, right? And so. Yep. Either and it's basically either it's basically two storylines. Either the machines are going to be fascist with respect to <laughs> us, which is right, which is the Terminator storyline, which is the yeah. machines are going to declare war on us and put us in camps and then exterminate us, right? Um, which is literally what happens in those movies. Um, and then, or we're going to be fascist towards the machines, and that's like the Philip K. Dick Blade Runner scenario, oh, right? Yeah. Like, right? If you watch Blade Runner, right? If you watch Blade Runner, the presumption is. You know, there are these AI, you know, androids running around yeah. um, and humanity's response is to hate and fear them and want to kill them. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's sort of this immediate fascist frame where if you've got these two different kinds of entities, basically humans and AI, that they're inevitably going to go to war with each other and try to exterminate each other. If you actually look at what's happening when people interact with even ChatGPT or Sydney or Bing Chat, even in their, you know, you know, even in their, let's say, hobbled forms, like they're having the exact opposite reaction. They love it. Like mm -hmm. they love these things. This is what happened to the guy at Google. Like he fell in love with the thing. Like he's like, mm -hmm. wow, like I yeah. found another soul. Right. And people are immediately having that reaction. There have been a handful of science fiction movies. The the movie Her comes to mind mm -hmm. where they've actually had this, but like, it's actually the opposite reaction. We actually arguably like right out of the gate, we can see arguably humans like have a giant bias towards having sympathy and maybe even too much sympathy mm. um, with, with, with basically what are at the, at the end of the day, you know, basically slightly more sophisticated toasters. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it may be that the way that this evolves actually is we way overestimate, you know, kind of, or let's put it this way, our level of sort of emotional affect and emotional loading that we place in these things is going to be way out ahead of whatever the underlying reality is. And maybe that's actually going to, sh to, to, to shape how this unfolds much more than this reflexive uh, impulse towards having some sort of hostility. So, just to wrap, I think you said toaster, which is Battlestar Galactica. Well, it just took me back there. Uh, th that was a great reference. I was also yeah. going to say, you know, there are movies which do both. For example, The Matrix has both. If you remember The Matrix, humanity first tries to enslave the robots and AI, and then they do the opposite to us. You mentioned her ex machina. I think would go the other way. For example, mm -hmm. when it comes to relationships and AI, uh, maybe you know well, that's fascist. That's a fascist. That, that's a that's a hostile. Or that's another one of the hostile ones, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah right. Um, right. But maybe you know, I want to end this, end this on a hopeful note. Like maybe at the end of all this, is there's love for everyone who wants to seek it out, and if it's not a real human being, maybe it's on a Microsoft data center somewhere for you. Well, look. Wow. Here's what you're going to have. Here's what you're going to have. Here's what everybody's going to have, and here's what every kid is going to have. And this is going to be very interesting, right? Every kid is going to grow up now with a friend, mm. right? That's a bot, mm -hmm. um, and that bot is going to be with them their whole lives, um, and it's going to know every. You know, it's going to have memories. It's going to know all their private prior conversations. It's going to know everything about them. Um, it's going to be able to answer any question. 
Um, it's going to be able to explain anything. It's going to be able to teach you anything. Um, it's going to have infinite patience. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, for like as close as a machine can get to loving you, like it's going to love you, right? Like that's going to be a thing. And like every kid's going to have that. Right. Um, and so what is the emotional relationship that your kid and then, you know, in the future adults are going to have with that regardless of whether it actually is quote unquote sentient, like what is the nature of that emotional relationship? And I, I think that, I think that actually is where uh, is actually where a lot of these, a lot of these questions are going to, are going to end up kind of circling around. It's basically Tomogachi meets uh, Jarvis. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, or, you know, characters that you see in any Asimo novel where you have a sentient robot who takes care of a child from birth. But, but, but I can't wait. You know, yeah, it's, it's true. I, I can't wait for the future because, you know, you remember Pleo, the dinosaur? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we, okay. uh, you know, I got one, programmed it. it same with like so Lego Mindstorm. It's so cute. And I just wish it would do more than just like make these cute noises. But, mm. you know, you could have the future someday. Or, it, or you know, like if, if you look at like, say, Foundation, you know, you see, you know, or Asimo novels, that, that was a kind of a staple. You have an AI which, you know, takes care of you from childhood. So maybe that's, you know, on that hopeful note, you know, there's love and patience and affection from, if not the people in this, you know, uh, podcast, a piece of code, the karma gins. a piece of code run on Microsoft <laughs> hardware for all of you. On that, that note, that sounds bleak. This was okay. amazing. Yeah, uh, <laughs> this was amazing. Go find love, everyone. Thank you. Good night. Thank you.